This is OTB AM. We had a good garden and the hurling garden, but both of them were the front gardens. I know why we call one of them a good garden, because both of them were the very same. But we weren't allowed hurling the good garden any of it. In the hurling garden, the sideline was three bands of barbed wire. So, like, not alone were you jostling trying to win the ball, you're trying to fight the, the barbed wire as well. And, you know, whether there's 2E there or whether there's 10E there, you made a match. Yeah, they were the days, like, but they're, they're brilliant. And you refereed them fairly yourself, in fairness. But, you know, there's often fights and games, probably. <laughs> OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show, weekdays from 7.30 a.m. only on OTB Sports Radio. Live 24-7 on the GoLoud app. The OTB Podcast Network. OTB Gold. The very best of off the ball. Hello there, you're welcome along to OTB Gold. It's Joe Malloy here, OTB Gold, uh, bringing you our very favourite interviews from off the ball over the past 17 years. Today, Cora Staunton. This was recorded in November 2018. She had just released her autobiography. The presenter was Nathan Murphy. Cor Staunton needs no introduction. And Nathan got straight in. OTB Gold. The very best of off the ball. All right, so Cor Staunton is in studio. How are you? Not too bad now, Nathan. Good. Your autobiography is out now. It's called Game Changer. This is what it looks like if you're heading to the shops before Christmas. It is the first autobiography ever by a female GEA player, which I'm sure you're pretty proud about. Yeah, it's great that obviously, um, you know, we, we, that the female GEA player makes a move and, and writes one. It's probably something I never really thought about doing and I was probably approached a couple of times a few years ago to do it and I was like, no, I don't want to do it, but I suppose then... So why now? Uh, well, I suppose I thought it was important, you know, I've been doing a good bit of work in schools with um, LGFA and with, with Lidl and, and before that I was with Sky Sports and I suppose I go around and see a lot of young girls and boys and, you know, they're kind of inspired by me. And so you got a good sense of actually yeah, the influence you yeah, can have. Yeah, so the story I tell in the book is, you know, obviously when you go to school it's a lot shorter, but you kind of tell the similar story to boys and girls, you know, to inspire them. So I, th- I thought, why not put it down on paper? And, you know, obviously being the first female GEA player to do it is nice, but the most important thing was to do to inspire, I suppose, the next generation. And that's an important thing to point out as well, particularly being from Mayo, would have seen us were a similar age and watching you progress with Mayo, you were always an inspiration for boys and girls. There was never really a separation, it felt like. Everybody in Mayo looked up to you and your achievements and were incredibly proud of them. Yeah, I suppose um, Yeah, I suppose my career would have started off the boys and I'd played with the boys for, for quite a, a number of years. Played with Alan Dillon being the main one that I've played with in Ballantubber, but played with Ballantubber boys probably for about six years. And I suppose the the main reason I suppose everyone had known me and I've started really young with me I started at you know thirteen and a half thirteen and three quarters playing with the senior team and kind of been a constant in it since um, so I suppose that's you know why people know me and I suppose in our glory our glory days when I was younger when we were kind of seventeen to twenty three were in you know. Um, five All-Ireland Finals with Mayo and winning four I suppose you know they, they were the real good times for, for, for Mayo football and you became household names within the county then Yeah there's a lot to get into your life certainly deserving of an autobiography from as you say playing with Mayo when you're just 13 winning the four All-Irelands difficult days on the pitch in Crow Park difficult days off the pitch throughout your life and leading all the way through to this year and the controversy and moving yeah. to Sydney and we might get into all that the one common thread throughout the autobiography was your unbelievable competitiveness. Like, there's a story inside the opening couple of pages of this that, like, it's, it, in fairness, it is a testament to your honesty through this because 
you talk about the community games when you're under 13 and you get to the community games final and yeah. you're playing a team from Kerry yeah. and one of your teammates, Michelle McGing, probably the second best player in the team, she gets injured. Yeah. So the manager, Eamon Chambers, makes a change and doesn't bring on the player you think he should bring on. He brings on another girl yeah. who's part of the local community, yeah. is in and around the squad, as I imagine everybody is, yeah. who's willing to take part. But he gives her her chance because one of her parents has yeah. recently passed away and mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And even now, probably almost 30 years later, you're going, wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> we could have won that if he'd made the right substitution. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah, I know that's probably sounds sad, but yeah, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know where that comes from, but yeah, certainly at the time, you know, I remember that. I remember the disappointment in Mosley. I think it was, a, we were on, it was an under 14 competition and myself and Michelle were 11 at the time. And that was our last time in Mosley because it had changed back to under 12 the following year. And I always remember in that final, it was against both for the carry. I can remember the game clearly and I'm making that decision and it's losing the final by a point. And, probably not been able to talk to him for a, a day or two afterwards because of the decision and I suppose yeah that's the nature of it being a very Did you tell him you were going to call him out in your autobiography about no, it? No I've met him he, <laughs> he was at the he was at the launch of the book and you know we did have a laugh over it um, you know but that's the type of sports person you are you know that's what that's built into you. you you can't really change that and as I said when I was always going to write the book from the start was going to be very honest it wasn't going to be a book that you know was just fluffy tell the, tell it tell it as I as I seen at the time. You do say in those opening couple of pages that you were addicted to winning and it did make me wonder when you look back on your career and a lot of the issues that have cropped up in Mayo both this year and a lot of nonsense that's gone over the last decade mm -hmm. at times. Did you love playing football or did you just love winning? Uh, I know I love playing football. I love I love training. Even now I love going out on the pitch. I love going to the gym. I love challenging myself, going to Australia, having a new challenge, all of that. I just love trying to push my body to the best it can and you know to the limits that you know probably at times I'm, I'm pushing it now at 36 and I probably shouldn't be pushing but I love I love the challenges I absolutely love training I'm like I know myself I'm addicted to training even since we got knocked out with Karen O'Connor on Saturday you know it's it's still routine I'm, mm. I'm back in the gym on Monday I'm back trying to practice my AFL skills on Tuesday I'm back in the gym on Wednesday it, it's just yeah it's an addiction to yeah there's almost Roy Keane levels of drive is what comes through in the book yeah uh, yeah and where does that I don't know where it fully comes from I think it comes from a very being part of a very successful club and from an early age does it, are, is the club successful because of your drive? Uh, well, it's probably a mixture. It's it's a mixture of both. I think we're all very. You know, I I'm lucky. I came through in an era in an era club that we had a very very talented team. Um, you know, an underage through all our club levels. We we lost one underage match from 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 under twelve. Um, barred the Mosney game, but with Carnegie, we lost an under sixteen county final. And again, I'll always remember that we didn't lose an underage. You know, in my senior career with Carnacone within the county, you mm. know, we've lost one county final, and um, you know, winning our twentieth this year. So it's just that drive. It, it's and probably were you injured the one year you lost? I, I I played, but yeah, I had broken my collarbone three weeks previous, so I missed the All Ireland with Mayo. So mm. yeah, I was half injured at the time. But yeah, it's probably a mi mixture of my drive, but also having very similar people in the club they're very driven and then we've probably created a culture that you know anyone that comes in kind of fits into that being very driven 
you were probably fortunate as well that your parents recognised that drive and the commitment that you were willing to give to the yeah. game at an early stage, even down to never try to steer you away from football, it seemed. They're going out playing with the boys' team. They even allowed you to decide what school you were going to yeah. go to. I think everyone in your locality would have gone to Ball Secondary yeah. School, but Ballinrobe was a better school for football, so they were happy enough to let you off. Yeah, so yeah, I suppose I, when I was in sixth class, I knew by then I, was, I loved sports. And as I said, I'd been to community games and was playing with the boys' team. And then I knew going to ball wasn't an option because the only sport they offer girls was volleyball. I didn't mind playing volleyball, but I really wanted to play football. My football was really going well. And Ball and Roper on a crest of a wave winning um, school All-Irelands and the likes of Denise Horn and the Heffernan sisters in there. And these were girls I looked up to. So I was going into first year in Ball and Rope saying I'm making that junior team and I'm making that senior team. And from there, you know, that, you know, obviously happened. And it was that just drive to be part of a team and been training. Did my mother and father, they never pushed me to sport or never pushed me away from it. They certainly never pushed me. Just do whatever I was enjoying. Um, you know, th they were trying to rear yeah. eight of us and we're all very close in age. And, you know, they weren't probably the ones that were able to bring me to train. And dad was a farmer, mom was a housewife. But I coaches around the locality that used to bring me to all my underage trainings or um, matches or whatever. So I was lucky from that point of view. Yeah, it was a fairly normal male upbringing. Never asked for much, yeah. never wanted for much. Yeah. How then, when you get called up, like how do you end up getting called up to the male senior squad at 13? How are you so good at yeah. such a young age? Well, I, yeah. When you look back now. Yeah, it's, 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 probably, it's, it's probably, you know, a little bit ironic, I suppose, at that age. But, you know, I, I had after winning two All-Irelands with Ballon Rope in the school and in the junior and senior, and, you know, I was first year on the senior team. And we won a, an under-14 fail with Karen O'Connor. So that's like an All-Ireland club competition at under-14. Um, so you, I had won kind of three All-Irelands within the space of 12 months and, you know, you've become a bit of a household name and at that stage it was normal enough for young, underage girls to be playing their senior team. You know, there was girls 16, you know, when I went in that was playing. And I suppose I just got asked to go in for a trial and went in for the trial and kind of never looked back and made my debut for Mayo in a league match in 95 and, you know, I think I ended up scoring 2-5 and then <laughs> maybe that, that was probably my downfall and um, from there ended up... Set the up, bar pretty high. Yeah, set the bar pretty high, but from there, yeah, just absolutely loved competing and just loved training and, you know, loved going out and playing for Mayo and playing for Carnacun and playing as much football as I can. Playing any sport, it didn't matter. I mean, I love watching sport. I love playing at all types of sports. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a sports fanatic. So was life pretty good? by and large as a teenager, certainly in those early teenage years before yeah. your mother became ill. Yeah. Like, because you say you are becoming a bit of a superstar and you say in the book that one of the first questions people ask is, what's Cora like? Yeah. And it's true at the time. Like, yeah. I think I had cousins who were in school with you and the yeah. first thing you would say, like, what, what's yeah. she like? Everybody wanted to know. That's, yeah. that's a tough thing to deal with when you're 15, yeah. 16. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. So like after I um, got called for the trial and made the Mayo team, it would have been shortly after that mom would have got sick. So in some terms, life would have changed quite a lot for me in a home sense. Didn't really change much for me from sport bear that, you know, at the time, you know, when I was kind of 13, 14, I was playing, I think on about 13 to 14 teams at the time, because I was playing underage with Mayo, all underage and senior and same with club. And then I was playing two school teams in, in ball and rope. And then I was playing soccer and basketball also mm. in the school. So life was hectic. And then home life was obviously a little bit, there was turmoil happening. Mom got sick and, you know, for, for back then she's 20 years dead now, she, treatment was in Dublin. So she spent a lot of time going up and down to Dublin and it was a long chunks of the time. It might be eight weeks she'd go up to Luke's and we might see her maybe one Sunday and then eight weeks we'd get to go up, you know, west of Ireland trying to get to Dublin. Back then wasn't, wasn't a thing that was, you know, was hard to do. Sure. Um, 
so life was difficult and I was coming home from school, you know, walking that mile, getting off the bus, walking that mile and mum would be sick, she'd be on the couch. So it was all that. Wonder, but what was ahead of you when yeah, you wonder, Yeah, exactly. But as a teenager, you just kind of, you just had to get on with it. You had no choice, you just got on with it. So yeah, it was a difficult time, but you know, sport was there for me all the time. I was away a lot from the house. So, you know, it, it, it was good for me when I look back. Yeah, you're what, 16 when your mother yeah, died then yeah, in the end? Like, yeah. it's clearly such a devastating experience and kind of get the sense during the book, like you could ask how you coped with it, that, that maybe even now you're not sure how you coped with yeah. it, that it was just a case of, you just got on with things. Yeah, it's... it's just this know, underlining, underlying yeah, sadness, but yeah. just getting on with things. Yeah, and you know, it happens to so many people, you know, rural Ireland 20 years ago, anything mm. happens um, in any household, death happens. We're a big family, eight kids, um, and you have to get on with it. We don't sit down and go around the table and start talking about our feelings or how we eat or how we're getting on. It was life, it happened after the first month you move on. You don't have a choice, you go back to school um, and life becomes normal again and you have to just get on with it. And I suppose that's the biggest thing writing the book that I found 20 years later or probably 19 years later at the time when the book was being written and sitting down talking to my ghostwriter about how I felt in that time. That was probably the first time I t ever talked about my mother to anyone else and how I was feeling at that time. And I suppose you look back and you're wondering how you still have all them emotions and mm. them clear, vivid memories of instance from 20 years ago. Um, and I suppose that's where you hold everything so deep inside you, yeah. and that you can you can remember it all. Is that is that just an Irish thing? Like it's, it's, we Shay given in here around this time last year, yeah. and Shay had released his autobiography, and Shay's mother died when he was very young, and he said the same thing yeah. when he wrote his autobiography. It was actually the first time mm -hmm. he'd sat down with somebody yeah. and spoken about the emotion of it. Yeah, it is. It's definitely an Irish thing. You know, I don't maybe not today, but I think certainly yeah. twenty years ago or whatever. Maybe things are more open now. But yeah, back then it was just like things happen. Whatever happened back then, you just got on with it and moved on, and life moved on, and you had to. So yeah, it was it was difficult from that point of view. The first kind of se few sessions I had around the book, I found difficult. I found mm. I was mentally exhausted after it. You must get an awful, an, a, a real sense though from your family of, of the pride that is there with having had such a loss at 16, what you've been able to go on and achieve with your life. Yeah, I suppose the biggest thing I found from it after mom died, um, 13 months later, we'd have been in the All-Ireland with Mayo. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, I didn't get to play, you know, I got injured the week before. But that kind of next five or six years of the journey that we had with Mayo winning the four All-Irelands and doing really well, kind of helped our family cope with mom's death. The distraction. Because it was a distraction. And my father started to get to know the players and parents of all the players. And my sisters and brother, they kind of got... got we so ended up... had an outlet that maybe yeah, wasn't exactly. there Yeah, exactly. It certainly wasn't there. And we were all became like an extended family. Everyone's family knew everyone. So, you know, we were off playing matches or All-Irelands and we are off celebrating. So that distraction was there for about six years, which was brilliant. Mm. You know, at the time, you didn't think it. But when I looked back again, you think that was brilliant for dad. It was brilliant for my sisters, brilliant for my brothers, that we had them really glor good glory years for Mayo um, six, year, six years after mom died. Mm. The, the glory years, they came sort of out of the blue, it seems, that start of the 99 season, you're struggling even for numbers at Mayo training yeah. and you end it in an All-Ireland final. Like even now, almost 20 years on, is that still very much a bittersweet day? You mentioned you broke your collarbone a week yeah. beforehand. You're given this sort of token gesture, yeah. which I'm sure you appreciate still. Yeah of going on for 45 seconds yeah. at the start of the game. You win the All-Ireland, but you're not really a part of it. Yeah, of course it's bittersweet. Um, you know, at the time, after having, to, you know, as I said, it was 13 months after mom died and having to deal with that. And you think, you know, life is, you know, things are turning around and things are good for you. And then that happens and you're like, you know, it was very hard as a 17 year old, I was in fifth year at school to have to deal with it. Um, 
but you know you, you deal with it after two or three days you know there's a you know there's you're only one individual on the team and you either yeah. can sulk for the week and feel down and sorry or you help your team in some way and get on with it and again I was very lucky I had like very you know with Fimber was our, as our coach at the time and he was brilliant with me you know there was for their few days leading up to it there was a chance that yeah. they were going to try and play me yeah so like I had for the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was at different physios and different people trying to see is there any way I could play, but it ended up being impossible that I wasn't going to be able to play. But you just accept it and you move on. And obviously winning the All Ireland, you know, makes all that pain and, and stuff go away. But I it probably again made me a little bit more driven, if that was possible, for the next season that I knew we had to get back to Crow Park. I had to be able to play there and I needed to win an All Ireland while playing on the pitch. So is that ninety nine medal separate to the rest of the medals? Yeah, well, yeah, no, like, medals are, aren't important to me. If you're asking me where my All-Ireland medals are now, they're probably somewhere in the attic. It's not, it's, it's, it's the game, it's been there, and once the game is over, that's it done. Um, you kind of don't really look at the achievements or medals. It's the memories that you make from the years. Mm. You know, we have a WhatsApp group set up there a couple of weeks ago because we have a reunion coming up for 99 now, 20 years. God, it makes you feel old. <laughs> but it's the memories. I wouldn't have meet, met some of these girls I'd say some of them easily in 18 years and I've met some of them loads of times since yeah. but some of them and when you sit down together it'll be the memories and the stories and the cracks and what we've done on the bus and our trips to Balmullet and you know the stories that you'll be able to tell and the connection you're going to instantly have with these people that you haven't seen in years. You must have brilliant memories of the homecomings. I <laughs> remember vividly the homecomings to Ballyhonus yeah. in 99. It was yeah. late, late at night. Same age, 17, 18, we were let loose on yeah. the town as you took hours and hours. I think you went through pretty much every town yeah, in Mayo. Yeah, I remember we came into Shrule in 99 and then we made everywhere. We, we came into Ballyhonis a quarter to three in the morning. <laughs> and I remember the whole team um, at the time and management stayed in Margaret Byrne's house, Yvonne, her mother's house in Knox Street, which was a three bedroom house. And there must have been about 35 to 40 people <laughs> staying in the house. And we woke up the next morning and she had everyone's um, T-shirts washed and had breakfast on for us at about nine o'clock in the morning. Woman Margaret. Yeah, so uh, yeah, just vivid memories from yeah, uh, Ballyhonis everywhere. From we, you know, we used to always go to Balmullet on the Friday after All Ireland and stay in a hotel, and you could still tell stories for them from them nights. So, yeah, it was magical. Was it ninety nine where you said the line of we did yeah, what the men oh God, couldn't yeah. do? Yeah, more one fight. major regret. <laughs> yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah, at them times you weren't too often on any um, form of. Um, Mike or radio or TV yeah. and I think it was Jim Carney come up to me straight away after the match and um, ran to the sideline and yeah I said that stupid line um, you know as a 17 year old it's certainly one thing Galway man out to get you yeah exactly but you know that was just emotion at the time yeah. and, you know um, yeah, I suppose the Mayo men had been lucky in 96 and 97 in previous years too. yeah it's like you say it's, it's almost 20 years now and still we're having conversations about the place of women's sport and the coverage of women's sport and there's some really good initiatives taking yeah. place over the next little while you think back to nights like that in Ballyhonas yeah. and there are thousands of thousands of people yeah. nobody cared whether it was the men or yeah. women coming home with yeah, the All-Ireland. Yeah. All that mattered was yeah. that it was the All-Ireland. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, is there any mad or county for GA that yeah. Mayo? No, there's not. Um, yeah, it, honestly, they were absolute magical moments. Yeah, and we, we do talk about women's sport and, you know, 20 years on, has it improved? Of course it has. The standard has gone up, you know, tenfold. We look at the attendance and stuff, they've gone up tenfold. There's still loads of things to work on, you know, for women's sport and to get equality with the men, um, you know, but that, it'll, it'll eventually happen. It's steps, you know, it's small steps forward all the time. But 
I suppose to be, you know, at the All Ireland this year and watching Dublin and Cork and to see it breaking over fifty thousand, you know, their 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 steps. But you know, as a person coming home and, and a proud Mayo person and following following the lads for years and continue to do so, yeah, the, the moments and coming home and seeing, you know, grown people crying, you bring the the the, the cup across the in, in Shrewl there on the Galway Mayo border, you know, they're memories that live in your life and that you, mm. you'll take to your grave. Those must have been some pretty sweet years then when you're winning those four All-Irelands and you are becoming this genuine national star. You're yeah. in ads with Ronan O'Gara and yeah. Damien Duff. Like, yeah. it, it seems a, it's a very strange existence, I would imagine, from where you were coming from five, six years previously. Yeah. You're still very young at the time. Yeah, so yeah, I was probably yeah, I was probably 17, 18 at the time when all that kind of um, ads started happening and, and different deals. And again, I was probably the only female uh, GA start to get them yeah I was really awkward in all of the moments I absolutely didn't like them I didn't you know while it was lovely love meeting Ron O'Gara and, and look you know absolutely idolised them but a lot of the time I felt uncomfortable and I suppose in the book I speak about you know different things being at a, a function with Bertie or Hearn and looking for what table I'm going to be at and then we're suddenly realising I'm at the top table beside him <laughs> And I'm 20 and I'm going, why am I here? And yeah. th- 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 that feeling of being really uncomfortable at them events, um, I just, yeah, it wasn't me. I didn't want to be there. I just wanted to be out playing football and, you know, winning matches or whatever. And them, they were all sideshows. And I think probably till I got to nearly 30 that I really struggled to be at. And even now at times, I struggle to be at certain yeah. certain events that you're, you're there's that uncomfortableness and, you know, having to make the conversation with people and you're wondering, you know, why am I standing beside Sonia Sullivan or, you know, why am I standing beside some other famous person? I never ha- have myself on, on the same level as them. They're up here to me and, you know, I, I'm down here. And I think I really struggled to deal with that. In a way, maybe in your early 20s, it was no bad thing to struggle with in yeah. a way that there was no arrogance creeping in at any stage. You were saying very much yeah. grounded that and you still had that drive to keep yeah. going, to prove yourself yeah. constantly that kept you going. And, I, and I'd say there was probably no shortage of people to keep you grounded. You talked yeah. about your family, but yeah. it's clear in this as well. And maybe it's after your the loss of your mother, like, your friends, there's almost chapters dedicated to yeah. Yvonne Byrne, yeah. Claire Egan, Caroline yeah. Brennan, yeah. those people who it really feels, regardless of the medals, yeah. made those years what they were for you. Oh, completely. And they, they're the people that you need in your life. And even now they're in your life when, you know, they're there through the good and bad times. Yeah, And I, that's where I'm lucky enough. I had very, very, very good friends. And friend, friendship was probably a thing for me in my early days in school. Because I went to a, a, a secondary school that was different to my whole um, primary school, and you know, you went from 100 kids to 850 kids, and I didn't know anyone going to secondary school, only my brother, and struggled in them first few years to make friends. I found I knew the importance of fr- friends in sport because they were the ones that were very similar to you, and were you know maybe had that drive and, and, and wanted to be. So, yeah, certainly during them times, you know, I, I, I talk about Yvonne, or as I call her, crazy is, is her nickname. You know, probably been my shield for a lot of my life, and you know she's one of these people that'll talk. You know, she talked high legs with donkey even now. Like she loves, you know, that side of, and I'm the type of person that'll be in the back. So she was my shield. She'd come to functions with me, and I'd leave her out there talking, and I could be in the background. And whether she's talking to Morris Fitzgerald or if she's talking to Brian Cody that's brilliant to me. I'll say hello and get the picture and then I can go back and sit down, but she'll do all the talking. So from a point of view was, you know, I had lucky people, you know, and that's one thing my mother mm. taught me always to be very, you know, humble and, and, and you know, as as a as a young person growing up in a in a big family, when you had brothers there and they were always keeping you grounded and you're in a big family, you had to fight for everything. So you're never going to get a run away with yourself. Did it piss you off when you saw the head, some of the first headlines in the book were Cora 
I'm not gay. Yeah, of course they did. Um, but, you know, that's, that's media. They have to pick it out. And, you know, I suppose that, that was a conversation I had with Mary. You know, I suppose in Ireland today you have, you have norms. And if, mm. you, if you come into your 30s, you're expected to be married and have, have kids. And if you don't have that then and you don't have a boyfriend hanging off you, then there's something people obviously genuinely think, oh, there must be something she doesn't. And I think from, from a point of view of young people growing up now, um, rural Ireland 20 years ago um, is a lot different to rural Ireland now. But growing up, um, when you were 16, 17, back in rural Ireland, you know, I've plenty of friends, you know, at the, that are gay now. Um, but back then, they would have struggled with their sexuality and to tell their parents or to tell their friends. And I suppose it's really important that I wanted young people nowadays to say that, you know, and it's brilliant, society has changed nowadays, that they can go be whoever they want to be. I go into schools and I tell kids, you know, you don't ever have to be, be fit into the norm and whatever the norm is, I don't know, but be whoever you want to be and don't be afraid to express it. And I suppose I, w I really want to address it in the book and, you know, to my friends that, you know, a number of them that, you know, are gay and, and they go out and they know, you know, if they're gone out in Dublin somewhere and I want to go out and socialise with them, you know, I, I struggled when I was younger yeah. to be able to do that because of identity. What might be other people's assumptions. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, other people's assumptions of who you are. And I suppose, it was, you know, I was lucky enough that for the friends that didn't mind that and would always come and socialise in spots that I was socialising. So I think it was just important to yeah. address for young people today that they know growing up, be whoever you want to be and, and, and don't be afraid. Yeah, you really don't think of that sort of impact. Yeah. You're almost afraid of going out with your friends because suddenly yeah. stories will get back yeah. home with, and we know male the way stories yeah, spread exactly, like wildfire. Yeah. yeah, and I just thought, you know, it's, it's really important that, you know, just because, you know, uh, if when you are, when you get into your 30s, if you're not married and you don't have kids, that's fine. You know, you, as I said, everyone is whoever they want to be. And if you do, that's brilliant. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Of course, someday I'd love to be married and have kids. If it happens, it happens. But, you know, your life goes down a certain path. Whatever path goes down, you just have to be happy with it. After the success then and winning the four All-Irelands, like the difficult years from sort of zero five on. Yeah. Now, when you look back, it seems like such a waste with the amount of goodwill and talent that was there yeah. towards this team. The, never-ending issues that turned out with the county board where it certainly feels from the book even you get the sense that maybe they thought you were getting too big for your, big for your boots yeah. at times yeah. like when you look back do you think you could have handled things differently ah you possibly could have handled things differently you know at, at the time i suppose one of the probably the biggest things that happened and i've talked to you know i've talked to Fimber since about this um, you know he he read the book there and i've talked to him and he was like oh god we let we let a few all irelands go i shouldn't have gone and i was like no you shouldn't but you know <laughs> that was another side thing but i think looking back we he had set such high standards for us um from 99 to 2004 and you know he was way ahead of his years in strength conditioning and video analysis and stuff that wasn't really happening yeah. around then and then when he went and we didn't have that. We were always looking for that. We were always looking for the level we were at and we were always looking for managers at the level that he was at. And when we weren't getting that, we knew that was the level that we needed to get to win the All-Ireland. And when that standard dropped, we knew we were never going to get back there. Yeah. And, I and suppose, when you say we there, yeah. do you mean the core group of four or five? Or was that very oh, that, much you driving that on? Because no, I, that, 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 was, that wasn't even the core group of four or five. That was everyone. That was okay. the whole team. And what would have happened then from, we'd say, 2005 to 2007, girls that were starting to get fed up with it and were like, this is not going to work out. We're not getting the quality of management in. I'm going on a J1 or I'm going here. I'm going yeah. concentrating on another sport, which was fair enough. And then I suppose Frank came in 2007. A lot of the core group were still there. There was a good, still a good few changes. We had a lot of younger ones in. 
and his standards were quite good, quite high. Um, and again, that was shown. We got to a league final. We'd bet Cork for the first time, I think, in 20 in odd games. We got to the All Ireland final and lost the All Ireland final. And all of a sudden, Frank was gone, and then no manager put in place. So I think, you know, as a group, we, we knew that we'd lost, um, you know, an excellent manager. And mm. there was years lost. There was girls that just walked away from it because they were fed up with it and they were fed up with the county board changing manager upon manager upon manager. And if you want to do well in any sport, you, you need that consistency of managers for a number of years. Yeah. How personally demanding were you? during uh, those times? No, not at all. But, okay, like, no. Because to, to be honest, and like, uh, it's probably yeah, a testament to yeah, your honesty yeah. through this, and it's funny, I mentioned Roy yeah. Keane, I think almost their similarities. It feels yeah, that go, you're very demanding yeah. in it, and you are an elite sports person, and you were very demanding in what was an amateur organisation in so many ways, yeah. that you looked at things in a very professional way yeah, of, of people who were very much amateurs. Yes, yeah, but it wasn't just me. There was people with me driving it. But I suppose when you're the lead and lighter, yeah. you're that, you know, maybe the star, you're always kind of grab their attention. There was more people that wanted that drive for, for eliteness, whether it was Yvonne, who, who was another one, who was Claire Egan, Fiona McHale, there was loads of people I could name a load. Um, but yeah, we just wanted, you know, basic things we were asking for that we weren't getting. And I think, yeah, you were dealing with county boards that, you know, um, would be there a year, gone a year, that wanted certain different things and didn't know what it took to the top. Because mm. when Fimber stepped away, the whole county board that was under Fimber were gone as well. So it was a whole new um, county board in. And again, probably not taking women's sport very seriously, not taking male ladies very serious. And we knew as a group that the talent that we had in a group and we knew that if we could get the best out of that talent, we'd be competing with Cork. And Cork obviously went on on their own. And, you know, we, all, we looked on with envy what Cork then had, what we used to have, the Damon Ryan and the consistency of him and what he brought to the, brought to the team. And they went on and won, what, 10 or 11 All-Irelands mm. under him, which, you know, was magical. But at the time... During you know, your best years. During <laughs> our best years. And, and, and it's, it's interesting because I'm very friendly with some of the Cork girls. I'm very friendly with Breed Stack. And I had a message from Elaine Hart after she read the book a couple of weeks ago. And she said, I never knew the amount of stuff that you went through down there. Jesus, you really did let some All-Irelands go. Mm. And this is against your biggest rival and your competitor. But as a sports person, that's that sport you have to take on, you know, on the chin. You know, you're lucky enough to, to win. Yeah, it, to me, it's a disappointment. And I certainly think within them years, we could have won another couple of All-Irelands. We could have gone on and won, easily went on, went on and won two or three more. What motivated you most during your career? Uh, what, even now, the challenge, the challenge is something new. Every year is new. Um, There's a reason I ask, yeah, because I yeah. was wondering, was it at times, I don't want to say a personal yeah. grudge, but one of the most interesting stories is of the day yeah. of the 2017 All-Ireland Final. So I'm yeah. sure a lot of people listening yeah. will remember the comments that Mick Bohan made, yeah. the Dublin manager, the week yeah. beforehand against you personally, yeah. oh, about intimidating referees, yeah. knowing how to get frees, yeah. cynical, all of that. You're on the bus to the All-Ireland yeah. Final. I'm sure most of your teammates are listening to music, yeah. getting themselves in the yeah. mood. You're listening to a recording yeah. of Mick Bowen's comments. Yeah. That seems pretty remarkable. Yeah. Is that, I don't know, would a psychologist not tell you that's an incredibly negative mindset to be going into an All-Ireland Final with? Uh, possibly. I, yeah, I, I don't probably talk to too many sports psychologists. Uh, yeah, I suppose we all motivate ourselves in different ways for different matches or get, get up in different ways for matches. Um, yeah, obviously what Mick's comments are at the time were very disappointing. But as a manager, if I was in Mick's shoes, it was played very, very well. You know, I wouldn't personally have anything against me. He obviously no. said they were taken out of context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the context yes. was taken, yeah, um, you know, after the time, and that's fine. You know, looking back, uh, from fair play to me, it was dead 
dead right. And, you know, he's done brilliant with that Dublin team and done brilliant with them this year. But yeah, I suppose everyone is motivated differently. Um, you know, when we were on a bus, we'd have girls that would be, some of them would be chatting away or some of them would be eating food or some of them would be sitting, I'd be the one sitting in a corner on my own, motivating myself right. to try and be the best I can be on any given day. So that's just me. Yeah, I just thought that's what I needed, that little bit of extra something to, to motivate me on the day. Um, was it right or wrong? Who knows? Obviously, it probably wasn't the best thing if we don't win the All-Ireland, but if yeah. we win it, it is. But uh, yeah, different things, different things motivate you, I suppose. The book goes right up to this season yeah. and the falling out with Peter Leahy, yeah. the decision of yourself and 11 more players mm -hmm. to walk away from the panel. The book finishes, is it where both sides have agreed to say nothing? It's sort of before all yeah. the back and forth in yeah, the yeah, yeah. media started. Yeah. Where does it stand right now? Have you had any contact with Peter Leahy or the Mayo County Board over the last uh, few weeks? They only can't, no, I have, have absolutely no comment or no, um, no phone call or anthem from Peter. I haven't talked to Peter since I left the team. With the county board, we've had um, interaction with them because of the whole appeal system with the club and, and stuff like that. So you've had to have interact with them at meetings, but nothing from a level of anything else. Where it stands at the moment, I, I won't be putting on the Mayo jersey personally myself again. Um, you know, this, you know, this year would have been my last year. It's disappointing that the way it ended, I suppose. The biggest disappointing thing for me is that there's 11 girls, um, probably at least eight, seven or eight of them that are in their prime or haven't even reached their prime um, that won't play with Mayo um, in the near future, which is really disappointing for Mayo itself because yeah. you know these are some of the best footballers that the county's ever produced and some of the best underage talent coming through. And, and some of them are as young as 19 and 20 and have, have their whole careers ahead. And, you know, some of them are club mates of mine, some of them are best friends of mine. And, you know, that's that's the disappointing thing that going forward for them and for Mayo football, it's it's not good because Mayo football need them and, and they need Mayo football. Yeah, it was obviously an incredibly difficult time for everybody mm -hmm. involved on both sides and got pretty unsavoury and just very messy yeah. with the different interactions and probably no actual interaction between yeah. both sides. The one line I think that still lingers is the line about it being a not being a safe environment, mm -hmm. not being a healthy environment. Yeah. Do you have any regrets about that language? Did you go a step too far with that? No, I don't think I went a step too far. Um, I suppose the, the most disappointing thing for me is when all this, this we'd say the saga um, developed and blew up and was trawled through the media for months, mm. was that that never needed to happen. Um, if there was a strong enough body, um, whether it was Mayo County Board or the LGFA, that stepped in straight away and dealt with the issues. And that's the really disappointing thing. These di issues have never been dealt with. Yeah. We're four months but did on. You, did you understand the full weight of your words when you talk yeah, about an well, unsafe environment? Because it, it's, it's almost too ambiguous in that it leaves it open to people's imagination and people automatically assume yeah. the worst of what happened. I understand that. I suppose the most important thing when you when you use words that can be taken in many different contexts mm. is that's the thing. To me, um, from a point of view, when I use the words, well, that's the reason I stepped away. Yeah, obviously we can have perceptions of what unsafe and what unhealthy are. But well, what's your perception of it? Well, from, from why, and I suppose the girls have come out in, in, in media mm. and said it and, you know, Again, majority of the girls have never been contacted by anyone from the media, bar myself, or from anyone in, in LJFA. When we talked about unsafe and unhealthy, we were always on about their mental well-being. And there's girls' mental well-being that really suffered and still is suffering because of the environment that they're in. And that's why I use the words and the terms that they need to step out of that environment because it wasn't, wasn't healthy or wasn't safe for their mental health. And from a personal point of view, I walked away in 
solidarity with them girls and I was worried, genuinely worried about some of them girls' mental health and still to this day genuinely worried about mm. certain girls are, that had had to leave their environment because of their mental health. So that's the context of the words that I was using. It was all around their mental well-being. And the disappointing thing is I've talked to these girls as last week, a couple of days ago. There's girls, there's a number of girls, four months on, that are struggling really badly, struggling really badly, and have not. Some of these have never been contacted by Mayo County Board or by LGFA. And that worries me that as an organisation, player welfare and welfare is an issue that people think about dressing rooms or pitches or you know getting mm. food after training that's not it about their welfare and as an organization and what about the wgpa have they been involved the wgpa in fairness them has helped as much as much as they can they've you know they've offered um help to the girls mm. and girls have seek professional help because of it um and they've offered it but you know that's they've done as much as they can the wgpa are, or a small enough um, organisation, they have stepped in and have offered help to the girls and girls have taken it up. But, you know, this is the thing that never really needed to be brought out in the media and dragged through the media for the last four months. If it was dealt with at initially, I think it was around the 2nd or 3rd of July, if it was dealt with it, we've cried out and asked for help from the organisation. Our club has done the same thing mm. and nothing has come back. So if someone walks away, we were at an appeals committee, and again, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, where we won our appeal for a club, and we told delegates of that appeals committee exactly what happened, and that's probably about a month ago now. And if they, again, we haven't still been contacted since that to say what's gone on. So you've gone into specific detail yeah, with that appeals committee? with that appeals committee. Because it was the only way, if we didn't go into it, Carnacombe wouldn't have been allowed into any championship. Right. So we felt we didn't want to, because it's Are not a forum. Are you happy to make that public, or is that still very much a private affair? In, in into the specifics of what actually happened. Well, it's, it's not my story to tell. I can't talk on behalf of, of um, 11 other girls mm. and two other members of management. As, as I said, the main reason that I walked away was because in solidarity with their girls. So it's not my story to go and tell the number of other girls' stories. Peter Lee, he obviously has a very different viewpoint on mm -hmm. what happened and has been backed by the county board yeah. and has just agreed a new, yeah. is it a three-year three deal to deal stay on? Yeah, she was a and will have everybody except the 12 available next season, more than likely. Have you had any contact with any of your other former teammates? I have met some of them in, in passing in the street. And, have, and is that relationship just broken down completely? Uh, or? Certain relationships with certain players have, have broken down. You know, other ones that, you know, you'd, you'd say hello to, we wouldn't probably get into mm. the specifics when you meet them. Um, but there is certainly certain the relationships, yeah, have broken down with, with certain girls, I'd say, yeah. Um, which, you know, to me is really disappointing because outside of the football f field, you know, you have friendships with girls that you've been playing with for a long time and that you might have known for the last 10 years. And it's sad that them relationships have broken down. Um, and again, are they ever going to be repaired? Who knows? Yeah. Was this an inevitable clash of personalities between yourself and Peter Leahy, that he's very much an autocrat and you're somebody who is always questioning of authority, always well, demanding a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, it's nothing to do with me and Peter Lee. That's what's that's where it's all gone wrong. It's the media has put it between Cora and Peter Lee. It's not about Cora and Peter Lee. Again, I, I have to reiterate, there's eleven other girls that walked away. And for you personally, from that initial meeting where it was clear that something yeah, was I, I, yeah. changing yeah, in your role just, in the squad. Yeah, they know that I, I get on with it, you know. I wanted to play for Mayo, I knew I was fit enough to play for Mayo, whatever role I played for Mayo, you know. I started in the Connacht final, I finished the Connacht final, so, you know, that, was, that wasn't an issue with me. I had no issues with Peter. Me and Peter were in contact from the minute I left in December till I come home in April. 
there was text messages over and back um, from Australia saying, well done in a match, how are you getting on? We were talking yeah. about football. So there was contact with me and Peter all the time. You know, realistically, there was no issue between me and Peter. When I came back into Mayo this year, um, after um, the, the, a break after the league final, I just put my head down and trained. Had conversations with Peter telling me I'm playing the best football and he said that I'm in the best shape I've ever seen. That was probably two weeks out from the Connacht final. So there was no issue between me and Peter. It was never an issue between me and Peter. Again, it was because the treatment of other girls that I was seeing and as a young person when I was growing up I was always told to follow these morals and principles and that's all I was doing. And again, this is where it's all gone wrong. It's been made out to be about Cora and Peter because Cora is the, is the big name and for... for uh, I'd say a few weeks or maybe months afterwards, it was probably only Cora, Sarah Tierney and Fiona McHale that left the panel. No one ever even knew who the other nine girls were. And I think it's highly disrespectful that people think that 11 other girls will walk away with me. You're talking to girls that have been playing, Fiona McHale who's been playing for Mayo for the guts of 15, 16, 17 years. Sarah Tierney who's been playing for 10 years. Martha Carter who's been playing for the guts of 15 plus years as well. That's highly disrespectful for these girls that people would think that they just walk because of a selection issue over me. Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's, it's disappointing from that point of view. But, you know, as I said, I go back to the crux of it. This should never be washed out through the media. We all we want is the best for Mayo football. And the biggest disappointing thing is that no one to this day and um, four months or a little bit over four months on has ever talked to certain players and, uh, on the, on the Mayo team and I think that's really dis disappointing the girls have given service and that are really struggling you know yeah. no one has ever contacted Sarah Tierney or captain of the team no one from the county board no one from LGFA nobody has ever contacted her once she left that Mayo team Yeah well I think we'll have to follow up on that with the LGFA certainly ultimately it's all just very sad on yeah, a like, number of levels yeah. and for you personally you know Mayo's greatest ever player to see 20 years more than 20 years of your life end like this like it, it must be particularly yeah. upsetting yeah well I suppose you know the la there's no point lying the last few months ha haven't haven't been easy and they've been very difficult but you know as I go back to it I'm 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 very lucky I've played with Mayo for for 24 seasons mm. I've won four All-Irelands I've won national leagues you know I've been lucky I've come from a brilliant club and have won a huge amount with them but I go back to it you know I've had my career with Mayo you know, I'm 36 years of age but there's girls that are only at the start of their career they're 19 and 20 and girls that are in their prime they haven't been lucky enough to win an All-Ireland with me or haven't been lucky to have a long um, career with them. And these girls need to be back playing with Mayo, whether it's next season or wherever it is. And they need to be given the opportunity to go back within, uh, with, with Mayo and play with them next year. That's the most disappointing thing. Would you thing. encourage them to go back under this management team? That's their decision. At the moment, I can't see that happening at all. And that they'd go back under yeah. that management team, but again, there needs to be someone. There needs to be someone in the the, the national governing body that comes down and tries to fix this, because um, it hasn't been tried to be fixed. And I think it's really important that they get the opportunity, that they go back whenever it is that they go back and get the opportunity to play with Mayo, because there's some of the best footballers there and the most talented footballers coming up. And if Mayo ladies want to get to the top and get to Crow Park and hopefully win all Ireland's, they're going to need these players. We got to wrap it up. Uh you're heading back to Australia now, yep. though. I would say you just need to turn your phone off for a couple of months and somehow try and blank this all out. Are you looking forward to just getting away from it yeah, and um, yeah. getting back to playing a bit of AFL? Yeah, obviously it's a disappointing end to the season with um, the club losing uh, yeah, the, yeah, the Connacht final at the weekend. Obviously that's disappointing. Um, but, you know, one will have to pick herself up from and, you know, get on next year. But certainly, yeah, Australia, as I said earlier on, it's, it's, a, it's the challenge. And, you know, last year was quite successful for me over there. I didn't do too bad, but, 
you know, there's a lot of improvement, you know, into pre-season now in the next couple of weeks and, you know, into into games and, you know, I've a lot, I've a lot, still a lot to learn. It's very new, it's a very new game for me. But yeah, certainly looking forward to coming back and, you know, the main thing is that the body holds up for, for the next five or six months and that I can continue to, to play at a high level. Well, the very best of luck with it. Congratulations on the book. It's just nominated today on the short list, uh, the long list yeah. for the Air Sports Book of the Year. Yeah. Uh, well done with it and thanks a million for Thanks a million, Nathan. Great to, have, great to be in. OTB Gold. The very best of Off the Ball. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation.